1: Dave. Uh uh-uh. uh. And oh, Tori.
0: Hello, Internet.
1: <laughs> and we start every week with good thing, so uh, Craig, what's what's your good thing this
2: week? And by week oh. I mean two days after we last recorded. Aside from Animal Crossing, which by the way, still pretty good guys. Um, I watched Knives Out last night and that was that was decent. As an I ensemble cast and it was pretty entertaining and interesting. And a little weird. So, yeah, good stuff. Um, Ryan Johnson is
1: one of my favorite directors of all time. Uh, Pre-Star Wars, he directed three films, and they were all just phenomenally good. Uh, The best is probably his first one, which is um, Brick. I've I've brought him up before, I'm pretty sure, on here. Um, But, yeah, he also directed Knives Out. I've heard Nothing But Great Things, and I haven't seen it yet. And I'd like to, and I don't know what I'm going to get to, but I want to. And I will take that long stretch
3: of silence as Dave's turn. Dave, what's your good thing? Hmm. Well, let's see. So uh, in this crew, you guys have been talking about sports movies. And my sister and I just actually watched a sports movie today. It's called Early Man. It's by Nick Park, the Wallace and Gromit chicken run dude. So it's a stop motion and, you know, same style as those other movies. And it's about uh about these people from the Stone Age that have to win a soccer game against these people from the Bronze Age. And they're like they're primitive, so for some reason they call it football instead of soccer. <laughs> and it was pretty cute. So a lot a lot of funny like British style uh visual quick gags and bad puns and you know, same style of humor. Not not as good as uh other works as I remember them but it was cute. All right. Um, I haven't seen it. I'm aware of Wallace and Gromit. I think I've seen
1: like one thing of theirs. But yeah.
3: What?
1: Oh, I mean, I've I've seen more things by the same guy, like Chicken Run. Everyone's seen Chicken Run.
3: What? But Wallace
1: and Gromit was the best. Wallace and Gromit was two minutes of a Rube Goldberg machine, and then some other stuff happened, but you don't care because the Rube Goldber- Goldberg machine was the fun part
3: the Rube Goldberg machine, there's Yam in Gromit's face. Anywho, uh, my good thing this
1: week is I'm just gonna list five of my favorite board games that I own and talk about them a little bit as my good thing. 'Cause Five good things. Five pretty good things. I haven't actually gotten to play any of these in a while because generally speaking board games require or good board games generally require at least three people. And my wife and I have been quarantined together for some time now, and have not seen anyone from the outside world in some time now. Because that's how quarantines work.
2: That's how the play yet.
1: How romantic. Uh, So first up, we have King of Tokyo, which is Yahtzee rules with giant monsters. Uh, You you try to kill each other or score enough points to win, and it is incredibly simple. It's quick to play. And it is my absolute favorite game for introducing people who are, like, new to
2: modern board games to modern board games. Those are called... We call those gateway games. As you can imagine, it opens the gateway. And, yeah, King of Tokyo
1: is, in my opinion, the best of those that I have played. I'm sure there are... I'm a big
0: fan. I'm a big fan of King of Tokyo, and we have the expansions, and... We also have a couple of house rules. Let me tell you about these house rules. First off, anytime you're talking about energy, you have to call it energy. That's okay. that's one of the rules. It's what required. What happens if
2: you don't follow that rule?
0: You lose your energy.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. I like Whoever that
0: house rule. Whoever calls you out on it gets to take it. I think yeah. I'm going to
2: institute that house rule.
0: Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and then the other one is anytime you roll an attack, you have to lift your hand up like you're doing a little claw attack, like rar.
1: I like that like, one
0: like
3: <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know like the little the little claw motion that's that's in um
3: Liar rawr, liar. Rawr.
0: Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> 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 Like rar.
1: Okay. If you come up with any other house rules like that, can you write them down so I can steal them?
0: Because sure, but th- those yeah, are those great. are the only ones. Yeah, they're fabulous. I love them. Anyway, carry on. Uh,
1: yeah. So, n- next up on the list is Betrayal at the House on the Hill, uh, which is basically horror movie the board game. Uh, it starts pretty similarly every time, uh, but then depending on how things go in the game, there are up to fifty different potential second halves to the game. Which well, that, makes that's it,
2: only in the base game.
1: Yeah, that's in the base game. There are expansions. There's a legacy version that I haven't really messed with. I
3: saw it at the store, and it was like seventy bucks, and I didn't have that kind of money. Um, it's more like Scooby Doo because the bad guy's always like one of the characters that you saw for a second. Not always. <laughs> That's a good good way to put it. Well, okay, ninety percent of the time. <laughs> um, but a it has betrayal? It
1: has it has a huge amount of replay value. Like you you can just keep playing it with the
2: same group of people. And I was undefeated in that game until I lost. <laughs> I remember Dave talking about because we would play it together. Uh, me, him, and my wife. And he was like, I'm undefeated. And then one time he lost. Undefeated, Asterix. <laughs> but there's also Betrayal at Boulder's Gate, which mixes D&D with Boulder's Gate. um, And it does some neat things. It It is some difference. The characters have special abilities rather than just stats. But The key thing in that game, though, is only about, I'll say, two-thirds of the time is one of the characters, also the villain. There's a lot of scenarios where there's just an NPC villain that you have to deal with as a party. So that's nice that you don't always just, there's not always a betrayer. Need to find my list again. Hang on. Uh,
1: All right, next up is Settlers of Catan, and that is a game in which someone will inevitably offer wood for sheep. That's a gateway game. It super duper is, Uh, but I like like King of Tokyo better for that,
3: because it is simpler and faster. Let me correct myself. Catan used to be the gateway game. So Dave was the one who
2: got me into board games because of Catan. He showed me Catan, and I'm like, this is a whole new world. I got to experience more of this thing. And it was because of Catan. And this was like, what, 10 years ago or so? More, More like than that, 50. 15 years ago. Yeah, 7,000. Yep, you're 7,000. Uh, next
1: up is Ticket to Ride, which is, I'm pretty sure, also another gateway game. It's fairly simple. Yep, you, uh You run a railway company, and when you start this railway company, you have basically no tracks to actually run your trains on, so that's that's the game, is you try to run tracks between cities to fulfill contracts and get points. And the most points wins. Uh Last up is Forbidden Desert, uh, which is you and your friends are flying around in your airship and then it crashes in the desert and you all have to uh find all the pieces and put it back together. And if anyone dies, everyone loses. So it's unlike the rest of these games. This one is full co-op. Um... You're you're playing against the game, not each other. So if if you want a board game experience that is that is less about like competing against your friends than Forbidden Desert or any of the other Forbidden
3: line of games, there's
1: at least two others that I'm aware of.
3: Yeah, my um, brother and I just played Forbidden Base Station or whatever. Forbidden Mars or whatever. I forget. Forbidden Sky. Yeah. Yeah. My there's brother and I just ship. played that.
2: Yeah. So, the nice thing about Forbidden Desert is that you build an airship. Yep,
3: just like Final Fantasy.
0: We (laughs) also play Forbidden Island, and one of the house rules for Forbidden Island is anytime something sinks, you have to say glub glub as you put the pieces away.
3: I have a house rule that I always follow whenever playing the Forbidden games or also Pandemic. Any of those games that has like an airlift helicopter card, anytime I play one of those cards, I have to go. As I slowly move the piece across the board. That's going to be real
1: great radio work and sound <laughs> awesome in everyone's ears once once this episode actually comes out. And yeah.
2: It's for the immersion.
1: So there's gonna, I think there's going to be some people that are really going to like that. And there's going to be some other people that really, really don't like having that sound in their earbuds. So to that second group, I'm sorry. Uh well, is it better or worse than... No. Stop. Just stop. <laughs> yep. Gonna delete that part. Gonna leave the rest of this in. Just You guys should know, Dave made a gross noise. And I got rid of it for you. You're welcome.
2: <laughs> well, and then it turns you. out he doesn't. And it's like, well, that makes perfect sense. <laughs>
0: it's
3: uh, just so, a callback to the Mistborn 2 book. The shoulder. Uh, so, Tori,
1: you should also have a good thing this week, right?
0: Yes, I should. Yeah. Um. So my good thing is actually that stuff is growing in my garden. I, I, put, I put seeds out there on purpose, and, and some of them are actually sprouting. They're not weeds, you guys. Legit, <laughs> actual things that I planted are growing, and it's amazing. And hopefully it continues to look amazing as they grow in, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how that turns out. I'll keep you posted.
2: Growing weeds is the easiest thing. They just happen. All right. Uh, So,
1: Dave, I
3: believe you read five chapters this week? Oh, yeah. This week, we have read chapters 30 through 34. It's a lot of chapters. Mm-hmm. I'd tell you what book it, it is, but I don't have it in front of me.
2: Could it be The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson? A New York something best time
3: seller something? I think it's the Sunday Times bestseller on Dave's version. Chapter 30. Darkness Unseen. Which, by the way, is kind of how darkness works. They may as well have called this chapter Dark Darkness. Anyway.
2: <laughs> That's such a good chapter name.
3: <laughs> we got Jumping Kaladins. Gaz is not the hero of his own story. Gaz approves of Bridge Shield. So, uh, I, I take it that jumping jacks haven't been invented yet, and Kaladin's doing some jumping exercise, so I'm gonna name it after him, call them Jumping Kaladin. <laughs> Jack. Okay. So I don't wanna say, I don't wanna say jumping yaks. Uh, r- real quick, what sort of
1: motion do you think they're making? Do you think they're actually, like, doing jumping jacks as we know them, or do you think they're just sort of hopping in place? Jumping yaks. There you go. That answers it. All right. Because I prefer to think of them as just, like, hopping and just, like, standing straight and then just jumping straight up into the air and landing and doing it again.
2: And, yeah, that... I mean, you're still working your your calf muscles and everything from doing that, so it's not bad. That's called bust jumping. Which is how
1: it's described. Like, Brandon doesn't go into, like, the motions they're making. He just says they're doing jumping oh,
3: exercises. I... Yeah, jumping jacks are copyrighted, so Brandon can... Put the name into his book. <laughs> Jumping jacks are copyrighted. In fact, we probably shouldn't even say it on this podcast, but I'm gonna look it up right now. I don't think it's trademark. Are they or named copyright. after the
1: toy jacks or was there a dude named Jack who came up with it? They're
2: they're called star
1: jumps in the UK. That's interesting, but doesn't really give me any insight into the answer to my question.
0: I mean they call it football over there, so
1: Oh, uh, that's probably why they said that in the movie I watched. No, they're just, it's an older country, so they use older names. Yeah,
2: it's a really old. Caveman old. Well, actually, yeah. So, eh. in World War One, although this is not true, but in World War One, <laughs> they said it's named after a General John J. Blackjack Pershing, but it, that's not really. It's like, he came up with the exercise.
3: So, friend, I wouldn't be very happy with you, Craig. Yep. Wait, why? So then, was the toy named after the exercise? I think
1: the
2: toy was named after the card game. The n- the name comes oh. from the jumping jack children's toy. That's what the wiki right. said. So I don't think it's trademark. We could totally use it. It's like definitely within the common language. Anyway, continue.
3: All right, G- So Gaz, we get a little bit from his perspective, and he doesn't even like himself. Like he's not even the hero of his own story. He's just like well, I'm a jerk, and I'm gonna be a jerk, and I don't like that I'm a jerk, but I'm just gonna keep doing it, and then, so we go back to Kaladin here, he and his boys, men, are exercising, and Kaladin has this bright new idea to actually carry the bridge sideways and use it as a shield against oncoming arrows, and... He has his men practice with this motion, and it's really bad and they're really slow and they're gonna probably get picked off by how sloppy it looks. And so Gaz is like, looks good. Go with that on the next bridge run. And that's the end of chapter 30. I mean, it's not so much that Gaz thinks he's not the hero
2: so much as that he's in a really bad situation and he has lots of bribes and stuff to pay off. So it's like, what is he gonna do? He's sort of is forced to do what the light eyes tell him to do, what to do.
3: Yeah, he wants Kaladin to. St- he does need Kaladin's bribes so that he can pay off his uh, his own bribe for whatever secret that Lamaril is trying to hold for him. Uh, so Gaz's
1: little POV scene here, where like he doesn't like that he's missing an eye and is like constantly a little bit paranoid about it, is one of my favorite like. Short POV scenes in in the book. Uh, what, what did you What did you think of it? Like, did you Did you enjoy that portion, or what's up? Yeah, <laughs> good, good job, nice. good podcasting. <laughs> I don't have anything else to say about it. Okay, uh, what do you think Gaz
3: did to get all those debts that he's in? Um, he probably sold his eyeball, and no. it was effective, and he got in trouble. they were like this eyeball. This is, wait, maybe he's one of them half light eyes. Oh, he's got one light eye and one dark eye. They cut out the light eye or something. Nope, can't have that. Yeah, like you're not a light eye. Get out of here.
0: You just made me think of that bit in Guardians of the Galaxy when Rocket Raccoon is like, and I need that man's eye. And the others are like, no, no, he doesn't. Isn't that
3: a Beatles song?
1: Rocket Raccoon? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Rocky Raccoon. Uh ah. but that was also likely the source of the name for the character. Neat. They just, you know, sci-fied it up slightly. <laughs> Molten Rock
3: Man Raccoon. Chapter so, 31? how's about chapter 31? Rock and Roll Coon. Uh chapter 31 Beneath the Skin of Evil. No.
0: <laughs> Don't
3: reference. It was a good the end I think of the that episode, episode that happened. The <laughs> well, uh yep. Man, poor Riker almost died in that episode. Alright. Kaladink years ago. Lirin toxicated. Surgeon diagrams are even nakeder than regular naked. Rosh 1 told people not to donate to Lirin. Giant tortoises rampage across the land. Lirin uses Turn Undead. Alright, so back in the past times, Kaladink's dad is having a Kaladrink. And yeah, then this the new mayor, Rosh One, that, uh, we learned about in the last past app, uh, chapter, chapter, sode. He turns out that, uh, yeah, he's telling the townsfolk and influencing them not to give any money to Liren. So Liren doesn't stop doing his good work of healing people, but he's no longer getting any money and he's trying to pressure them into selling the spheres that they inherited from, uh, Wistiao. But, uh, Liren says that money's to send Kaladin off to Carbrand and then the townsfolk all show up in ski masks and they uh they're trying to be like zombies I guess and then Liren's like you want the money here's the money and he like flashes his holy symbol at them and they all turn and run so it works ba- he's basically a cleric right like he's a healer but so he's n- he's he not high her. enough level to actually just make him go poof
2: so they just flake.
3: Yeah, you have to be double the level of the undead they you trying. To. Maybe it's because they're not really undead. Depends on which system you're using. I want
1: to say in like 3.0, 3.5, it was like four levels higher. But I want to say 5e is is just double. Ah. And it has a specific name, and I'm blanking on it. There's turn undead, and then there's the poof them
3: undead. And I, Anybody? Anybody got this one? Uh, I know yeah.
0: that... The Poof Undead, of... that's what yeah. it was. Poof, Poof undead. undead, okay.
3: In Final Fantasy, it was called Harm, and then in later Final Fantasies, they realized that they could just make Harm and cure the same spell. Nice, efficient. According to Fel Knight, 2nd edition was rolling a d20
1: for how holy you felt that day.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's quite true. Did they even roll a single d20?
3: In 3rd edition, I know that they had a... One of the cleric domain powers, I believe if you had the sun domain, it was great. So are you talking about Rebuke Undead? Maybe. No, Rebuke Undead is the evil version. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Chapter 32. Go on. Side carry. Lopen. They needed every pair of hands they could get. WTF, Kaladin. (laughs) (laughs) The tower. Side bridge is a success. For bridge four, at least. I bet Kaladin gets blamed for this. Dun, 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 spheres. And uh, there you have it. Chapter 32 in a nutshell. So Kaladin gets a new recruit named Lopen. So Kaladin actually gets to to pick one. Uh, he has to pressure Gaz into even giving him anybody. He's like, give me one dude and I'll pick him. And Lopen is this really bright-eyed... uh, Bright-eyed, bushy tail? Bright-eyed, short guy with one arm. (laughs) And (laughs) Kaladin... Why? So (laughs) is just, like, thinking about how short he is on men, how they won't replace his wounded and everything, and he says, he thinks to himself that we need... Well, I think this is a narrator talk, but it's Kaladin thinking this. Says they needed every pair of hands they could get. Like, why did you have to put it that way? That's so mean (laughs) to get the one arm, Look... But Lopen. he's he has such a great attitude, though.
2: Exactly. He's assertive. He's like, hey, you want me, clearly. And it's like, the Lopin. It you want the... me, Soul? Well, he calls Gancho. Gancho? That's his version of Soul. Oh, and uh, Tori, would you like to describe
1: the Lopin from the audiobooks for us, please?
0: I, I mean, he sounds like a shady character.
2: Does he really?
0: He does a little bit. He's very. He talks really fast, yeah. and he's very optimistic. He's um. He's how I imagine Cut Me Own Throat Dibbler from the Discworld books would be. Um. Yeah. yeah. I I love him.
3: And I really. What, just, I, sorry. Go ahead, Dave. I just I didn't think of anything like that. I just kind of imagined him with a Mexican accent.
1: And like he's named one
3: letter off of Lopez. Here's where I'm going
1: with this. Tori, could you please describe the accent that they use for him?
0: I don't know what I'd call it.
1: Uh, I would say either Australian or New Zealander, because I have trouble telling those two apart. Apologies to our Australian and (laughs) or New Zealander (laughs) fans. You Uh, do sound very, very similar to me. I'm sorry. That's funny. Uh, But it works so well.
2: him. Okay. I mean, I also pictured in my head like a Mexican or South American type accent for him. Maybe Puerto Rican. But
1: yeah, it works super duper well. And Dave, you said something and I don't think it got caught or got picked up in the recording. So could you say it again, please? Hey, you want me, Gancho? Yeah, but yeah, the the audiobook choice was one that I didn't see coming and also the best possible choice.
2: Wait. So, can one of you guys try to mimic it right now, please? I need. To I this. would only
1: embarrass myself. Is okay, it... sounds good. I'm not hearing a downside to this. I'll see if I can dig up a clip from YouTube oh. here in a little bit.
0: Yeah, I guess it is Australian. It's kind of a mild Australian, like it's it's not very obvious or heavy. You know what I mean? But that is the accent that they use for all the Herdazians.
2: Nice. Yep. Alright, cool.
3: So, continuing on. Okay. So, this is where they just finished exercising and they got this new member for Bridge 4. And, oop, they get called in for bridge duty. So, Lopin, uh, Kaladin just tells him to go with, like, the wounded guys and bring some water onto the battlefield. And he finds like a clever way to carry more water than they were expecting, which is pretty cool. And they make it to the tower, which is the real big plateau where no Alethi had ever won a gem heart ever before. And I was thinking, man, if they get this gem heart, I'm going to be really happy for Kaladin, but also kind of mad because Sadius will get all the credit for it. And they go with the side bridge strat and they deflect all the arrows. But then the Parshendi, they uh, are are able to focus down other bridge crew more efficiently, bridge teams, because, you know, they're like, oh, forget this. We'll go get these weaker guys. And since they had practiced and they had gotten out ahead of all the other bridge teams, the other bridge people saw how they were using the bridge as a shield, but they hadn't practiced doing that. So they got all lopsided and slopsided. And as a result, they can't get enough bridges to the chasm, so their cavalry charge isn't wide enough to be as threatening as they need it to be. And it's just a whole slaughter and, uh, about 200 bridgemen as well as, uh, Sadius's soldiers, uh, just get slaughtered in this fight. And and uh, Kaladin didn't lose a single bridgeman, but, uh, because of his actions, they, they lost the battle and, uh, I bet they're probably gonna find some way to blame Kaladin for it. So they do. <laughs> <laughs> One page later. Gaz, Gaz and Light Eye McGee come over here. They're like, this is your fault. And Kaladin's like, yeah, but if you let me live, I'll vouch for you and let people know that it's my fault so you guys don't get in trouble. And so Light Eyes McGee is like, alright, guards, beat him up, but leave him alive. And then as they're beating him up, he drops his purse and the spheres start rolling out and all the stormlight is going out of these spheres. And that's pretty curious. There is actually an into a uh an instance during this bridge run where Kaladin actually in a moment summons up more strength than he thought he had, and perhaps somehow drew the stormlight out of his orb the spheres uh, in that moment. Wait, but are anyway. you saying there's a
2: connection there?
3: Yeah, I mean I've been saying that. I don't buy it.
2: <laughs> but it's not in Dave theory, so how do we know it's true? Rayfo. Dang it! I hate these
3: Rayfos. Or is it a Layfo? Should we ask you in ten minutes? <laughs> in ten minutes? I'll be right. two chapters past this. Dave just
1: posted a new theory in Dave Theories, and the, <laughs> the exact quote here is Sphere McGee. <laughs> end of quote.
3: There you have it. Nice. Chapter 33? All right, chapter 33, Cymatic, which is actually a real word. I and and today. a real thing. You can look up videos. It's actually really good. Cymatic. Cool. Cym- I guess cymatics, it's like, it has the same root as the word symbol, like crash together. Uh, Likely, like yes. Victims. I hadn't thought about it, but yeah. All right. I bet Shalon's fabril is fine. She just has to unplug it and plug it back in or something.
2: <laughs> so good.
3: Bathing <laughs> attendant. Shallan took selfies of Yasna sold casting. Ten essences. Shallan got a new monitor to fix her computer virus. Shadows remembered, remembered. Cabsaw joint brings yam for Shallan. What do simberries taste like, guys? Um, Honestly, simberries. I don't know. Simberries like taste tints. like simberries. And snozberries taste like snozberries. There you go. Birthday. Symmetry is holy. Sematic, study of the pattern that sound makes in a physical medium. Yasna has seen this trick before. All right, so Delan has to go to the library and check out a book, and she checks out this other like children's book called Shadows Remembered, and I think it's like the book that Yasna had been reading. So she wanted to check it out. She, this is just a kid's book. She puts it back, <laughs> and she also she reaches in her safe pouch and she's. Checking on her broken Fabriel, which she kind of like fixed the chains, like the, she fixed the outside look of it, but obviously the uh she hasn't uh, fixed the defect whatever's keeping it from working. She kinda made it look like it was operational so that she could swap them out. And uh we do get an update. Yasna has started using Shalon as a bathing attendant. So Yas mm-hmm. uh I don't think bathes with the Fabriel, so Shalan might have an opportunity to swap a out in the near future. And, uh, Shallan mentions these ten essences. Oh, well, she mentions five of them. She says, mentions that, Yasna uh, is, is good with, like, she has an affinity for vapor, spark, and lucentia. But she's like, but you'd think that she'd be good with everything from Zephyr to Talus. And Talus is the one, I guess, that they need to help him make quarries and stuff. And that's the end of that scene. then Capsule shows up and he brings bread and yam for Shalon and uh Shallan reminds Capsule that Yasta doesn't like yam. Hey, wait, but wait, wait, He keeps bringing it but so is this yam made out of yams? No, it's made out of berries. do would you uh, make yam out of yam? I mean, I like strawberry yam myself. Oh, you know what <laughs> I had a bla I had a black currant yam that was really good i I just are, like those are perfect. preserves, I think. I just like grape yelly. Grape I had yelly. some apple yelly on a peanut
2: butter sandwich today. Hmm. Wait, so they should be yumping yaks. That's what you said earlier, isn't it? No, he said jumping yaks. He no, did say he... jumping
3: yaks, but he it should be yumping He said jumping
0: caladins.
3: Caladins. Yumping caladins.
0: There you go. Uh,
3: <laughs> yum- I'm sorry, I misspoke. I should have said yumping caladins. All right, well, let's continue with the jam. All right, so Shalon has a crush on capsule. He's the younger, ardent, the bald kid dude, and uh she's like, "Well, nothing can come of it because he's an ardent, right? But well, I don't know, but anyway, he seems concerned for uh yeah, both Yasna and Shalon's spiritual welfare, so he's like, "I have proof that the Almighty exists. Behold, look at these town maps, everything's symmetrical." And then he puts some, uh, he puts some like some flower on a symbol and he bangs it. And he's like, behold, this looks like the town map. And if I tap it here, it looks like this other town map. And Yasna walks in and she's like, Uh, oh, this old gag. Are you going to show like, me? like disproving a magician. Like, yeah, I've seen that one before. Yeah. The cards in your back pocket. Come on. Yep. And that's the end of chapter 33. Oh, and Yasna mentioned something about her 17th birthday. She doesn't call it a weepening, she calls it birthday. So I guess it, both terms are fine. Shalons, okay. Yeah.
2: You can call years or how many weepings have passed, but it's the same thing. Her birthday. Um,
1: so when Shalon is looking up the book that Yasna had been studying, uh she gives it a like a bad movie review headline, which I thought was particularly hokey and also a little bit Sh- funny.
3: <laughs> Shadows remembered ought to have been forgotten. Yep. I know you guys have read, like, bad movie reviews that use that exact same format. Yep.
2: Uh... Alright, so one more chapter, I think.
3: Chapter 34. Stormwall. I sure hope Solfrenic can survive the high storm. And that's the end of this week's chapter. Alright, bye Dave. So, Kaladin, uh... Regains consciousness after his beating to find that he's been strung up by his ankles on the side of Bridge Forest barrack. And a high storm is approaching, and he shall be judged by the high winds. We also learn that uh, Gaz's boss, Light Eyes McGee, has been executed, but Gaz remains in his station. And yeah, Kaladin's crew comes out to say hi, and Cal's like, don't cut me down, you'll get in trouble too. And he's like, I'm going to live through this, come back out after the high storm and I'll wink at (laughs) you. Specifically a wink. (laughs) And so is like, why'd you lie to them? And he's like, it's not a lie, it's a gamble. I'm all in. Calvin playing some poker dice. Mm -hmm. But we do get the reassurance that Teft and umunuku mukuluku hakamaka lokiraka eki oh, starting bicky Uh Numuhuku Makiaki Ayalunamore will carry on his legacy and bridge for won't go back to the old ways. So they're gonna have stew, they're gonna sell some milkweed to the milkweed buyer, and they're gonna carry on with the where well, they're gonna carry on living, learn the things that he was t- Any question. Oh, yeah, and so, like, so friend is made of wind, so, like, if she hangs out in the high storm, I'm just hoping she doesn't get blown away. Uh, so, yeah, we're we're leaving
1: this week on a bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, when are you planning on reading the next chapters,
2: Dave? Hey, Mike, Mike I think it's called a chasm hanger.
3: Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, maybe tonight, maybe
1: tomorrow. See, I figured you you would want a resolution for the cliffhanger, chasm hanger. Kaz- yeah, I don't like... That's awkward.
2: <laughs> it doesn't mean for you to actually use it.
1: It's. I don't like it. Cliff dangler. That's worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I-, I-, I figured you'd want some resolution to the cliffhanger and, like, go to it straight after.
3: Well, I mean, Kaladin's gonna die or not, whether or not I read it. Wow, that is actually sort of profound. It has already happened. It's in the book. It's not like it's Schrodinger's Kaladin. Or is it? I know I couldn't put
2: the book down when I just did a reread of this. I'm just like, well, on to the next chapter.
1: And I did put the book down last night. Once I finished the chapters, because I'm reading on Dave's schedule for this book. And, yeah. Then I put in a couple more chapters into um, Dresden Files. Because I wasn't quite sleepy yet. So, uh yeah, anything anything you would like to ask or add at this point, Dave? Mm, is Kaladin gonna survive the high storm? I'm sure. Question. Really tempted to rayfo it for you, and I'm also <laughs> tempted to answer it. So I'll let you decide which way you want me to go with this.
3: Um, I'll just read and find out. But okay, I'm gonna say that he probably will live, or he'll die and become like. He'll become part of Sulfrentis consciousness. You think he'll Obi-Wan this? Just full-blown Force ghost? Spoiler alert. Oh my god, we're not
2: in that section yet. Spoilers for a 40-year-old movie.
3: Eh, yeah, I think, uh, nah, he'll probably just live. Probably have something to do with the stormlight that he's been stealing from his fears. He steals it. Alright, then let's, let's go ahead and
2: get rid of Dave. Bye. Bye, Dave.
0: Bye, Dave.
2: He didn't leave yet.
3: No one talk.
1: Oh, okay, there you go. He's
3: gone. Play the thing. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. And go. Uh alright. So
1: we've talked about this before, uh, but Kaladin is as as a soldier goat like he's a fairly selfish soldier he is not really concerned about you know the needs of the of the overall army he's really just concerned about his own squad we saw that you know back in the prologue we're going to see that more in like the later flashbacks and we see that here like he's only concerned about his own bridge crew okay and he he screws all like i understand Especially here, why he's only concerned about his own bridge crew, but that right. that like lack of attention to the to the bigger picture is um, a huge problem for him
2: right now. So, I was going to say, in this particular instance, he is totally justified. Sadies, Sadius, 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 what I don't care what his name is. He's a jerk, and he is throwing lives away. Oh yeah, super committing war crimes. Like, everyone
1: commits war crimes in this book. It's
2: crazy. Kaladin has to only think of how he and his squad can live. He has no control over the other squads. And this is not a tactic that he would approve of anyway, because Journey Before Destination. So, screw all this. Fully justified. And I think it's okay that he tried to do this thing. In order to survive, because he is forced to at this point to try to live like they say, you know, bridgemen aren't supposed to live. Well, screw all of you. You know, this is exactly what's going to happen when you force people to throw their lives away for no good reason at all. So Kaladin totally justified in this. Now, uh, I think you bring up a good point, and I want to pay attention to that when we get to the preludes uh, where he's in the army itself. Um, cause I, I didn't remember getting the impression that he was very selfish, but now that you bring it up, I think he's done better in later books when he's actually with Dalinar, because Delanar is a big picture type person. He can, he can handle being a general and, and figuring that stuff out. So Calden can focus on his, uh, his squires, him and his squires.
1: Well, okay. In, in the pre, in the prologue to this book, um, like they're he's not at all concerned about like staying with the army, helping with the battle. All he's okay. looking for is like a spot that his squad can run to and hold and stay out of like the main um the main arrow flight. Right. And like sure. like he's literally not helping the army with the battle, he's helping his squad survive to the next one, which ends up not working out so well, but not for those reasons.
2: Well, but reminder, um, the group that he was with, like, it wasn't a very well-trained military group because all of the well-trained soldiers and officers were sent over to the Shattered Plains. This is the Dregs. Like, it's sort of a very, its, it's I wouldn't say a similar situation as the Bridgman, but it still has a, a smell of just trying to survive at this point. Like, oh. we're in a bad battle. We don't have, really have very well-trained men. Like, he's just giving a boy to watch over it's sort of like, we just need to live. And yeah. he's always thrown into the situation where it's just a need of survival. So I can't fully blame Kaladin because he's always in a need to survive.
1: Uh, Felknight just pointed out that, yeah, I've been calling this the prologue. That's incorrect. This was chapter one that I'm talking about, which is the first flashback. My bad. The prologue was Zeth killing the king. The prelude was the the heralds putting down their swords. This was chapter one, and then it'll show up again later. But I don't remember exactly when, but definitely later.
2: We'll keep an eye out.
1: Well, we got we got the in chapter one we got the battle like up to a certain point from set Sen's, Sen's point of view, which is an outside look at Kaladin at like up to that point, like the height of his of his Kaladininess, mm. I guess the height of his success, uh, and then. We later get, like, basically that whole thing again from, but this time from Kaladin's point of view. And then the Shardbearer shows up, and we get
2: that cool fight, and then everything goes bad. So, someone in my chat says, why would he care about advancing the wealth and petty squabbles of the Light Eyes? And that's that's another thing, aside from just surviving, he also doesn't really care about the reasons to fight. I mean, he, true. He needs a... He needs There's, a goal, and again, that's going to come later on when he's actually protecting people and fighting for a cause that he believes in. We're gonna we're gonna need a couple books for that. But yeah, what what he does here, as
1: he himself points out, points out he he and he alone undermined the entire assault, an assault that was probably going to go bad anyway because this was at the tower. The Parshendi have an overwhelming force. They've been there for. Long enough to get like completely set up, and probably almost have the the gem heart out of the chrysalis. Chrysalis, not chrysalis. Chrysalis is a video game, different thing. Um, so yeah, chrysalis
2: is the video game.
1: This was gonna go. Chrysalis. This was gonna go bad either way, um, but it went way way worse. And Sadius almost certainly lost like a lot of horses, which are extraordinarily expensive and difficult to replace on Roshar be simply because the charge was like they were still charging like his his heavy cavalry was still charging in but they weren't able to do so effectively so they got cut off they got separated and the men and the horses almost
2: certainly got killed so i have a comment about uh Sadius and his tactics okay if you know if he had if his army had a bit more morale like if they followed like sort of how the men Uh, in dalinar's army picture dalinar if they had the same morale and feel towards sadius number one if the bridgemen felt that way they'd probably be faster because they'd want to actually exert themselves to get it done rather than marching to their deaths um well they would also need more protection
1: yes well sadius would need to invest more into them like bridge four is able to to be as effective as they are because Kaladin is earning and spending this extra money to give them, if nothing else, an extra meal. Like, the stew every night is crucial to all of this. Nothing else would work without that. Like, the extra exercise would just exhaust them more without more calories to
2: to build them up. Right, exactly. And if all of the bridgemen had something like that, they would be more effective and faster. You don't necessarily have to completely... Change everything just a little bit to make them more efficient, and but, maybe less would die. But from Sadie's point army. of view,
1: I know, I like know. these aren't. He buys the cheapest slaves he can for this. Yep. Uh, he holds bridge duty back as a as a punishment in lieu of execution for anyone who isn't a bridgeman, uh, and then he keeps them at I think just short of like starvation. uh rations because it's the cheapest way to do it he gives them yeah. practically no equipment like you get a vest and sandals if there are any to spare well um,
2: i i know what he's doing i'm just saying if he wasn't an idiot maybe he'd actually do better but he does well enough so why change what works and all of this to get gem hearts that he's
1: not spending he like again i want to i want to I wanna stress this none of the high princes are spending any more now than they were when they first got to the shattered Plains.
2: but they are becoming more rare that has been pointed out. I think in a later slightly,
1: chapter. it's not quite enough to be noticeable yet. Although I'm guessing in, you know, a decade or two, it certainly will like they have done terrible things to the chasm population here. Hmm. Um, but yeah, like all of this is just to accumulate wealth uh, which any extra spending is just buying plateaus from other high princes,
0: but it's for who, vengeance.
1: Who then hold on to their own wealth? Like none of this is entering circulation. We talked about this last week.
2: Yep. You know, they, obviously Dalinar like knows exactly what's going on. The petty squabbling between the high princes. He's seeing that the vengeance pack isn't really getting any closer to being fulfilled. It's just pointless. And maybe it's just because a little bit of a push from the unmade, like the thrill, is helping to push them along to just fighting. Like there, it's it seems to be working. It's still a little something. So well, again, I mean, it's not broke, why fix
1: it? And and this this actually is a fairly effective strategy because the Parshendi can't like there are no reinforcements for the Parshendi. Like the number of soldiers they have is the number of soldiers they will have. So every right. boss...
2: Is permanent where but the We, we can... know that they don't know that. They yeah, they do. Know... They talk about it. They, they don't know anything about the Parshendi though. They didn't. They didn't want to invest that much in learning their culture where they come. They don't even know where they come from. But they do
1: know that they're trapped out here without any additional supplies or resources. Like they have, they have scouts around the entire Shattered Plains. They know that there's nothing else coming in. So minus the. Uh, the events of Words of Radiance where they summon the Everstorm, this actually would have worked eventually, just would have continued taking a really long time and kept all the High Princes out of Alethkar, and things would have
2: probably continued going bad there. Right, from a from a perspective of if, if they think they know everything about the world and it works the way they think it works, yeah, this could work, but as you ultimately point out, they're going to become desperate enough to summon the Everstorm Things are happening back at home in Al'Car, and it's just very bad in general what happens to the Lefty here. But on the surface, this just seems to be a working strategy. So, yeah.
1: That said, uh, yeah. Dalinar's idea at this point is is definitely the better one, uh, yeah. which which is just you know what the army belongs to the king now, and we're just we're just gonna send whatever groups we feel are best to go fight the Parshendi. And why not? Why don't we send
2: extras and block off the the plateaus around? Right. Actually, start squeezing them in. They could have been done this in the course of like a couple years easily. Mm-hmm. And, but uh...
1: oh, and and Sadius super duper screwed this up very very early on, uh, by executing prisoners. So like in one of the first battles that Sadius was in, the some of the Parshendi surrendered. And he had them executed extremely publicly out on the plateau, where the rest of the arm of the Parshendi army could see, and mm. so they would know there is no point in surrendering. So we need to, you know, either they're
2: fighting for their lives.
1: Yeah, either either we win or we retreat. We do we can't surrender because that is just not going to work.
2: So so let's look at this from the Parshendi perspective. They decided to kill gavilar because he was going to uh resurrect the knight's radiant and more importantly it sounded like he was going to bring back the unmade which is what i think they were afraid of odm and the rest of the unmade
1: uh you've got the order backwards he was going to bring back the unmade in order to
2: attempt to
1: resurrect the knight's radiant
2: so clearly they're like we have like we we have a treaty but this is more important this is much worse for the whole entire planet so we just need to stop him to make sure that this doesn't happen. And they do that and they knew there's going to be uh, a consequence for it. But also seeing Sadius, you know, do that, it's sort of like, Oh crap, our lives are forfeit at this point. So that, that they're fighting for their lives, just like the Bridgemen are trying to fight to survive. It's, it's yeah. this theme, like Sadius makes sure. No one can survive under his watch. This is just the type of person he is. And it's forcing people to have extreme actions because of it.
1: With with the information that we have, with the context that we have, the Alethi are very much the bad guys in this scenario. Yeah, but we
2: don't know that yet in this. Or do we? I guess we do a, n- a little bit.
1: Uh, we don't what know now? that they had like good cause to kill Gavilar. And right, that's right. that's sort of the inciting incident to this whole thing. So sure. without that then it looks like the Alethi are overreacting like significantly overreacting to to a single event but that one single event like deserves a reaction
2: probably not this much of a reaction yep so I did have a couple of things I wanted to talk about real quick please um so chapter 30 uh there is and and I'm going to try to point this out as I remember uh we do have more mention of Moshe M- M- M-
0: Mo-ash.
2: moash, Moash, do we actually have to pronounce the vowels mo-ash? not less ash moash <laughs> right so he he asked kaladin why did you make me a squad leader and because kaladin's like you're strong willed um but this is the sort of thing it's like why did kaladin trust moash so much why does he ultimately pick him to have a Shardblade. Now, this one is a bit of a discussion between people. I, th- I think you mentioned it, how we don't get a lot of screen time between the two of them interacting. So I'm keeping a special eye of how Kaladin and Moash actually interact. And I think it's most because they are very similar in in their foundation, like where they come from and how they feel about Light Eyes, that they sort of have this buddy chip because of it. Um, and so it's like, if Kaladin doesn't trust himself with a Shardblade, but Moash has actually stated, and this is in a more recent chapter that I've read in the in the forties, he has already he has stated himself he wants a shard blade. So unlike Kaladin, who does not want a shard blade, which we'll see in the in the flashbacks, uh, why, Moash does. And maybe it's that sentiment that's like Kaladin's like, Okay, give it to Moash. Oh, it's We'll we'll talk about it when it happens.
1: No no no. Kaladin actually tells us and Kaladin is not that complex of a character that we can't just innately trust the things he says, uh, he he tells us why, like, he keeps Moash around and trusts him. Uh, right. Because the other Bridgman, after after this High Storm thing, the other Bridgmen all see Kaladin as nearly a religious figure. Yes. Uh, where Moash never does. Moash never right. puts him on that pedestal. So yeah. rather than, you know, a leader-subordinate relationship uh, he and Moash have a, have a friendship between, like, they basically view each other as equals. Okay. Yeah. And. And that is one of the reasons why Kaladin picks him to have a Sharblade. And Kaladin does spell that out. So, like, this, yeah, this yeah. isn't even supposition, like, Kaladin straight up says it. And, again, Kaladin is not a deep, complex character on, on this level, at least, uh, that we should inherently, like distrust the things he says. He says something, it it is. Like, yeah, if, he, if he's, he's talking honest. about, like, his reasons for doing something, those are his reasons for doing something.
2: Yeah. I mean, th- I think that's one of the reasons why Syl has bonded with him. He's a, he's an honest person, and she appreciates honesty. Like, when Shallan tells you her reasons for something, you should immediately
1: assume that, A, those are incorrect, and, B, the the
2: actual reasons are something closer to the opposite of that so here's the thing the general theme of kaladin's chapters and his viewpoint it's it's a focus on honor how people have lacked some honor how the light eyes that he's interacted with have lacked honor and he feels they should be honorable um that's sort of his focus shallan's chapters are all about the difference between truths and lies and what it means to actually say something or hide what you mean it's it's a very different focus from Kaladin's chapters, and you can see that in this book, the different approach they have to those two different things. And Dalinar's stuff, a man
1: who has been a leader for more than half of his life is finally learning how to be a leader.
2: <laughs> True. Yes. He actually is. Um, okay, so so real quick, uh, more things. Um for for the for the flashback episode uh where we're talking about liren and uh Rochon. so my issue with Roshon, like i i know why he does what he does like the the reasons that are explained in my in the book but at the same time just looking at it logically think about it you are a leader so look at it from Roshan's uh roshone's perspective you are made a leader of this village you got one surgeon, one person who can actually heal people, so you treat them like dirt. Okay, Like counterpoint. I, I, okay. Uh, you were a rich, high-ranking
1: light somewhere right. where that mattered. Now, yeah. you're out in the middle of nowhere, you have practically no income, you have practically no money at this point. You were counting on inheriting all the wealth from the <laughs> previous city lord, but... Uh, the, the town surgeon has stolen it all and you don't see people as people. You see people as tools and this tool Mm -hmm. isn't functioning properly and it took all your money.
0: Well,
2: yeah, so that's, that's the
0: problem, but he's still healing I was going to say, um, I, I don't think Roshone is really thinking about it that way. Uh, Mm -hmm. just he's, he's so caught up in his, uh, Anger at having been exiled and losing his powerful position, and he probably treats everybody like crap. We're just seeing how Lyran is being treated because Kaladin is our point of view character.
2: So, so reminder: Roshon is the reason that uh, I think it's Moash's grandparents. Yeah, or parents. Yes, correct. His grandparents were were killed. Like it's his fault, and now he's destroying Kaladin's life as well in the uh in the flashback chapters. Roshone
1: was on an advisory, was in an advisory relationship with the king of Alethkar. And now he's a city lord of Hearthstone, a farming village
2: out in the middle of freaking nowhere. He went from like, what the second, no, well third Dan, I guess, and down to fourth, the very lowest of the fourth Dan.
1: And well, that part doesn't matter so much. He had power and influence and money. And now he has power over people
2: who don't matter. Yeah. And nothing yeah, else. I, I know, like I said, I know why he does what he does. I I can see that perspective. I'm just saying it's also pretty stupid. Yes, he's a stupid man. That's, yeah. that's established. Okay. I <laughs> just wanted to get that out. Um, okay. Uh, and then, sorry, I'm glancing. Uh, semantics. I wanted to talk just one mention of that. I know we're, we're wrapping up soon. Um, so, uh, another thing that comes up as we, as we read the books, there seems to be a heavy focus on music. Um, that seems to be the, the thing of, of this particular magic system as hell. and in general, investiture seems to be related to wavelengths and, and that sort of thing in some way. But in this book, it's about music, the Parshendi sing, that's sort of their thing. Uh, there's always this kind of beat going on and everyone they, can they attune to it themselves to the rhythms yes yes exactly so we have the talk the semantics which is using some kind of a musical note or something like that to beat out a particular wavelength which shows itself in sand uh in this case it actually shows different cities and i just want to say i think this is absolutely true why the cities look the way they do like this is this is absolutely why they do is it honor's fault i don't know if it's honor himself that did it so much as that they maybe they they were indirectly attuned to a certain beat or something like that the people in in the particular silver kingdom that uh why they made the te- the, the the their location the way they did so i think it's absolutely the true thing we just don't fully know
1: why uh there's also the thing where Rayshadium uh attract music friends which yeah, we haven't seen enough point. of to really put anything together there. But when we do see Richadium, uh as like w- out wild and running at one point, I forget if it's book two or three when it happens, but it's, it's noted that there are music spread with them.
2: That could be why they're attracted to certain, because it's, it's mentioned they pick who they're, who they bond with and it could be related to the music and, and what they feel a certain person, uh, if they're attuned to that person sort of thing. But again, while we're doing the reread, make sure you pay special attention to at any time. music or sound is mentioned in some way, because that seems to be how the investiture actually works on this, on this world. Um, so fun- okay.
0: about the semantics again. Um, so as capsule is pointing this out to Shalon that, you know, if you make the sound, then it makes the shape. Um, I don't remember exactly how it went down, but she mentions that, um, well, well, yeah, the men built the cities. And so they might have looked at that shape and then built it that way. And then Capsule points out that, you know, it was that the, uh, the land was actually shaped like that. And then people built their cities around it. Right. Uh, so i'm 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 envisioning this, you know in the beginning, there was the word like there was a sound that made this giant <laughs> symbol in okay. the landscape, you know, like like instead of just doing it on a plate like capsule did, the Almighty is over here, like shaping the entire world using well, musical
2: notes so so theory. The high storm passes over the land on a frequent basis. It's like what twice a week or something like that is going through the land and uh, one once to twice a week, sure, and what shapes land the best water and rain so these locations are constantly being bombarded by heavy heavy storm activity in the east and it dies down as it goes west. if there's also some sort of like beat, not not beat but sound that's produced with the high storm as it travels west it's a different note because it's dying down so in certain locations the rain like it builds the land it's shaping the land actively as it goes across the land like it's maybe (laughs) is what i'm saying
1: sure uh i'd also like to point out that capsule's arguments are from like a a logical argument making standpoint extremely poor yeah agree well i think yasna feels the same way like oh like yeah i heard this one before the almighty exists because we use symmetry in our names
2: like (laughs) like
1: dude the (sighs) capsule (laughs) capsule look my dude come on
2: Oh, he's
1: he wants
0: he's like he's like that very enthusiastic young man knocking on your door like, Have you heard the good news about our good lord, the almighty? And Yasna is that cranky lady who's like, Yes, I have, and closes the door. Just <laughs> slams it in his face.
1: Uh, I mean, I'm getting Yasna as the uh, old lady from Friday. I th- well, no, because the old lady from Friday was was the one actually going to order. Never mind. I've got it
2: backwards. Uh, okay, so I had one more thing to mention in, in chapter 34. Uh, there's a quote from the book and it, they're talking about how um, La- Lamarill, Lamarill, whatever his name is, yeah. the, the Light Eyes, how he was killed. And I, th- I think that's in reference to this. It says, If Kaladin has the ability to choose, such would be the end of all Light Eyes, the king included. Which is super foreshadowy because Kaladin does get that choice. And boy, is it a big one in Words of Radiance. Yep. So, so right now, this is where Kaladin is. Right now, hates all light eyes. He would totally just choose the king and be killed. Like, done. So this is his starting point, And we're going to see how this changes throughout this book and Words of Radiance. Oh, uh, so I pointed out a couple
1: of episodes ago that Kaladin hadn't ever really dealt with a low-ranked light eyes before. And Lameral is probably fairly low ranked, maybe like seventh or eighth Don is my best guess, which then puts him definitely at like the lowest rank that Kaladin has ever dealt with. However, in terms of power dynamics, since Kaladin is a slave, Lameral is so far above him that like the difference between between them is about the same as it was between, say, him and Roshone.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: agree. So. Lameral being low-ranked at this point is completely irrelevant to him being a high-ranked Light Eyes that Kaladin hates.
2: It's the relative difference in, in how it's treated. Because I think Wistato is like the only one who actually treated Dark Eyes well and didn't necessarily lord himself over them.
1: Yep, but he was also really old. Kaladin didn't really interact with him. And then he right. died when Kaladin was what like seven,
2: eight, nine, something like that. Right. Like so, not very old. So I just I just wanted to point out this is where we're starting from in Kaladin's eyes, and this is also where Moash is as well. Like they they basically think the same thing at this point. And we're gonna watch as Kaladin's at least in words of radiance, we're gonna see how that diverges as Kaladin actually interacts with Adelin and Dalinar. Oh, uh another thing, skipping
1: her changing topics slightly. Uh, the palyneum keeps everything super-duper dry, which is great for the books, great for the paper. And uh, great for fire? Yeah, in, in a library on any other world, super bad for potentially burning the whole building down. But on Roshar, they use stormlight for light, so they don't have to worry about it. That's true.
2: They don't have that catalyst, but... Uh,
1: also, there's also,
0: everything is... The, the building is literally made of stone, and there's probably not a lot of other things that would burn.
2: So, in Seth's chapters, he always talks about how they just use this this wealth of power, actually, of power just as light. Like, oh, and they just leave it around as light, and it's used as money. Like, a uh, big deal. But at least in here, in the library, it makes sense, like you said. I, I didn't even really think about that before. The fact that they use spheres. There's a good reason to use spheres and not fire of any kind.
1: Also uh, Roshar has a higher than normal oxygen level to its atmosphere uh, which makes fire uh, a little bit harder to control here and it acts weird compared to other places in the Cosmere so it's a good thing that they have
2: Stormlight because fire bad. Yeah and I wanted to mention one thing we get the Lopin finally. Yay the Lopin. He's so good. Like, I I had a huge smile on my face. First, chapter 32, he pops up and like, there he is. He's here. It's so good. So yeah, good stuff. That is my my real good
1: thing for this week is the Lopen. Yeah, but we can't tell Dave that we love the Lopen because that would let him infer that we're going to get a lot more of him.
2: Yeah, it's true. And (laughs) he really does bring a pair of hands. I mean... You know, Dave thinks it's like, oh, poor choice of words. But Lopin, the Lopin, he thinks, he's, he uses, he doesn't think he's one-handed, one-armed. And he brought uh, Haber and Dabit
1: out to help. So It's true. They actually it's just had attitude. five extra hands.
2: All you need, you need someone to improve morale. Rock and the Lopin are doing just that in different ways, but they're doing this. And this is what you need. This is what Bridgeport needs. Um. Also I have a huge just thinking about like the end isn't it the end of Oathbringer when he finally starts regrowing his arm? <laughs> and then he's uh, like, Yo, stick me to the wall.
1: No, it's the it's the very end of Words of Radiance. Uh is it? when yeah, he's he's that's the first time he breathes in Stormlight. So he has his arm in Oathbringer? Yeah.
2: Oh. Wow. This is why I need to reread Oathbringer.
1: Yeah, it's oh, no, it's it's during like the epilogue when he's got the uh when he's got Elokar I know. In in Little Herdaz.
2: Right.
0: And
1: and he breathes it in and starts growing his arm back.
0: My favorite Lopin scene is when Kaladin and the others are in the chasm and Kaladin is practicing with his abilities and he's sticking Lopin to the wall and Lopin, he makes some kind of pun about being armless. I don't remember the exact, but it's just a terrible pun and everyone's groaning about it and as he's stuck to the wall and yeah uh
1: please know that the arm that i that was eaten by that by that terrible monster is also making a rude gesture at you <laughs> yeah oh and uh as is pointed out in our chat uh regarding the whole fire conversation wood is also scarce uh because of the way that plant life has developed on roshar uh, Yeah,
2: like I think Shallan like looks at some trees. I don't think it's this chapter we read, but there's some chapter where she's sort of like looking into them and drawing them because there's snails on them. And they're like they also have like shell bark. It's we. it's not it's not regular bark. It's much more hardy because they have to survive hurricane type storms all the time.
1: Yeah, there are trees that flop over in the wind like they're they're basically they, they grew on a hinge. So, like, as soon as the wind comes in, they just, they just fall. Uh, and then, like, the, one of the only times we see a fire being started, uh, is in, like, the first scene where Kaladin starts rescuing Bridgman, and he tells them to get, like, some rockbud husks and use that for, for burning material. So, like, there is stuff to burn, and certainly there, there is wood to be had, uh although i want to say the uh the lumberyards actually use soul cast wood for to make their bridges just so they can Makes get sense. the right kind of wood because
2: they probably don't have access to tons of it well they do have so- no because they talk about there's there's people who go and gather wood like that right. was one of right. the tasks calvin could have been picked for instead of the bridge crews.
1: there's not no wood there's it's just not super plentiful like it would be in uh well shadows for in silence Omer. world or um cell uh not so much on skadriel at least in era 1 there the plant life is is sad and spindly right uh or uh nalthus nalthus has a lot of like well a- around helandrin anyway is, is basically a jungle so
2: tons of plant life lots of stuff to burn that's only because Idris is in the mountains, so that's why they don't have as much wood. But yeah, it's just shaped like any other Earth-like world. Roshar's weird.
1: Roshar is super weird. Uh, I wonder, do you guys think we're gonna get an even weirder world at some point? Yeah. Or would Taldane even count? I feel like Taldane count.
2: Described some, he has described some weird worlds that he's thinking about writing books about, um, even if they're just like a short story in a Cosmere type world. There's some other weird things that he has described. There's like, there's one where the moon is incredibly close to the planet. Like, they have a, they have a very, I think it's, they're sort of, have a very similar, uh, gravity uh mass between the two. So they actually orbit each other. And it's like, based so they'd on So they be which, tidally locked to each other? Right, and based on which of these planets that you're on you have different powers or something. I... This was a long time ago. I don't fully remember, but maybe someone in our Discord or in our chat has heard something like this. But, yeah, there's gonna be some other weird worlds to work with, but Roshar is definitely up there. And it should be, because this is his his big, you know, novel. His big series. So, it definitely has probably the most world building in it. So, alright. We good? We wanna end here?
1: We're good. Let's end here. Okay. Bye, everybody. Good night,
0: internet. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made-Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening.